Hey, welcome to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast. I am your host, David Uvita. And in this podcast, we'll share practical life hacks designed to shape your best life, love, health, and business. Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs starts right now. Hey guys, welcome back to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast. Our next guest went from delivering pizzas and is now considered the number one loss mitigation negotiator in the world. His name is Alex Viegas. He's the CEO of Premier Cap Solutions. You don't want to miss this interview. Stay tuned. Right, welcome back to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast. I am your host, David Ubita, and on today's show, we have a very interesting guest with an amazing story. He started out delivering pizzas and is now considered widely the number one loss mitigation negotiator, not just in the U.S. but in the world. His name is Alexander Viegas. He's the CEO of Premier Capsule. Alex, can you hear me? I, I can hear you. I can hear you. All right. Fantastic. There you are. Hey, listen, man. Thanks so much for taking some time out and chatting with us uh, here on the podcast. And so really quickly, man, uh, I know people may see, hey, he's the CEO of the number one loss mitigation company uh, in the U.S. And, you know, he must have it easy or whatnot. But most people don't know your story. So, um, as I mentioned to start off the podcast, you there was a time where you were delivering pizzas. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And so, it, it, you know, and I didn't just start off delivering pizzas. You know, I started off in the mortgage industry. I was uh, when when I when I started in the mortgage industry, we eventually did very well, just like many other people. You know, between two thousand two thousand six, and. Uh, we did incredibly well It's uh, part of some of the largest lending groups in, in the world. Uh, but, you know, and many good things come to an end, unfortunately, like uh, the real estate bubble that had happened and popped. So what had happened was uh, coming from a wonderful run, we went ahead and uh, what, what, when, the real estate, when the real estate bubble ended, it came to a recession. Well, so did so did my pockets. They ran out, and so uh, at one point, you know, at some point or another, somebody's got to think to themselves, "Well, I got to eat." And uh, coming down to the last two weeks of when I was uh, when I was delivering pizzas, what happened was I was I was actually eating at the dollar menu meal at McDonald's. That's all I could afford, really, truly. That's all I could afford was dollar dollar meals at McDonald's. So uh, what had happened was uh, at the last day before delivering pizzas, you know, I was, I was eating out of a coin. It was a coin jar that was full of coins. That's what I was using to feed myself. Wow. And I flipped that coin jar over on my bed and I said, I've got one penny left. I cannot even afford to feed myself a meal at the dollar menu meal at McDonald's. 
So I, at that point, I said, all right, well, I kind of suck it up. I looked out of my window, my beautiful condo in downtown Chicago uh, that I could no longer afford and was getting evicted out of. Wow. Um, yeah, I was thinking to myself, how badly did I screw up? I'm in my mid-20s. How badly did I screw up? There's beautiful offices all over downtown Chicago. Everybody's on top of the world because I felt like everybody was on top of the world because I was flying with everybody on top of the world. At this point, I cannot even afford to feed myself a cheeseburger. So, um, yeah, I sucked it up. Next morning, I said, hey, I got to go. Uh, I've got to feed myself. And I figured delivering pizzas was a good job. Now, it was, it was funny. I remember instinctively when um, when I was when, when I submitted my application, I was talking to the two managers. They had asked me for three references and uh, being in the mortgage industry, I naturally gave them three references that in the mortgage industry, they were, they were three bank CEOs and they looked at me and said, you want me to call three bank CEOs? So needless to say, I got the job very quickly. Uh, they, and so I uh, asked me, why am I there? I said, Bottom line is uh, real estate has crashed and I've got to feed myself and uh, I've got to pick myself back up. So I did and <clears throat> figured pizzas was a good job for me because uh, to, to, to at least hold me over because <clears throat> at that point, yeah, I, I could call leads. Everybody's already crashed. There's no more lending at that point. And to, by 2008, 2009, there was no more lending. Tons of millions of people were suffering from foreclosures. So I said, okay, well, what if I reach out to those people and, and uh, sell them loan modifications? I could help them modify their loans so they don't have to foreclose. Mm. So wh what I figured that I could do is while the pizza was being delivered, make calls. I figured how many calls I could make while the pizza was being delivered, how many calls I could make while I was in the process of from, from picking up the pizza to delivering it. Then I was uh, thinking, okay, well, how many can I can I make on the way back to the to the uh, pizza delivery or the pizza shop? So you know, I figured how many calls I could make a night, which were a sufficient amount to get sales going again, and that got me kickstarted. And so I essentially was running two jobs at the same time. If it, so, I was being efficient with what I could do. You know, that pizza delivery job lasted about ninety days, which was in my head a goal. Mm. I said, you know what, I just need enough to buy business cards, get a website going, get some money going, get some income stream going. And yeah, I got those leads going by doing two jobs at the same time, using that pizza delivery money to at least feed myself and keep me alive. So that's where it kind of began was, uh, you know, so there is a story behind the pizza delivering and that eventually led to making sales within the loss mitigation, helping distressed homeowners out, which ultimately ended up to where we are today. And today, these days, uh, things are very different. Um, in 2017, what did uh, PCS generate in revenue? So our gross revenue in 2017 was, was uh, three, about $350 million. And so that's, that's a pretty extreme difference <laughs> from delivering pizzas. It's a, it's, a, it's, a slight, it's a slight difference. It's a slight difference. So, you know, I, I, I gathered all my friends, all the resources that I had, uh, from back from 2000 through 2006, when things were on top of the world, I gathered because I knew that I, I was working with some quality people, uh, but they had hit walls too. Everybody at, the, in that, at that time had hit some major walls. And so I gathered them together and I said, you know what, even though I'm making some money off of distressed homeowners, I don't, I, 
let's make some shifts. I don't really want to take money, even though we're modifying your loans, even though we're getting them back on track, they're still broke. They still do not have money. So I, I shifted it to uh, partnering with banks and, um, and helping them out with all of their loans. So instead of how broke homeowners paying us, we were doing short sales. We are moving invent- real estate inventory with banks. We were essentially their short sale department. We were their loss mitigation department. So by bringing in my old contacts, I at least was able to get myself eating and going with that pizza delivering. And I got myself going again. And after 90 days, I started the partnerships with the banks. And so, so instead of doing those modifications, we were doing short sales, deed and lose, essentially working with banks directly. So banks were cutting us checks rather than homeowners. So, um, that's uh, so, you know, it, it, it started growing very quickly. You know, we started working with banks by 2009 and uh, eight years later, nine years later in 2018 today, um, you know, we're, we're now the loss mit- largest loss mitigation company in the world because banks turn to us for help. Uh, homeowners turn to us, real estate brokers, investors, they all turn, turn to us. And that is, that's, that's, that's for, that's, that's by working over 10 years of, um, well, again, from from starting off uh, in, in delivering pizzas. So I love your story, man. And and so for our audience, what is the one problem? What is the actual problem that you solve for your client? Why is it important to mitigate losses for banks and for attorneys and homeowners? Walk us just uh, give us a snippet uh, onto the value that you bring into the table by solving a problem. So here's the thing is that we're never going to live in a society and I, and I hate saying never, but you know, it's just the way the world works where everybody's making their payments on time. And that's that, whether it's credit card payments, car payments, mortgage payments, mortgage payments are the largest of all of those. So we're never going to live in a society uh, where mortgage payments are always being made on time by every single person. In that case, if somebody falls, if somebody defaults on their mortgage, now you've got to look towards loss mitigation options. You're, 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 you've got losses that, that the bank is facing because there's, you know, they've got a mortgage that they're losing money on and you've got to mitigate it. You've got to figure out what do we do to help out this homeowner? Do we help short sell the house? You know, meaning we, we, help, we help the homeowner sell the house for less than what their mortgage balance is. And, or do we help them do kind of a deed in lieu, which is kind of like a friendly foreclosure. Basically you give the bank, Essentially, you give them back your keys and, and you know, we'll negotiate something that makes sense. So that way the bank can go ahead and resell it as a foreclosure. Either way, you're, you're, you're mitigating those losses so that it makes sense for the bank. In other words, you are helping the bank lose as minimal as possible with their client, with their homeowner that has defaulted on their loan. So you're helping out the homeowner so that they're not getting booted and kicked out. Sheriff doesn't come into their house and, and remove all their belongings. You are helping them out so that you do something that makes sense for the homeowner. You, you know, perhaps you give them a little bit of money. It makes sure that the, that the bank agrees to give them some money to move out. And uh, then you help them transition into a rental so they can get their life going again. And at the same time, you uh, work with real estate brokers. so You can sell the property for as much as possible putting as much money into the bank's pocket as possible so that they minimize their losses. So that's essentially what it is. You're, you're mitigating those losses on the bank's behalf. At the same time, you're helping out homeowners. So essentially there is an investment made on the bank side. Um, and then there's an investment made on the homeowner side and stuff happens. Life happens at times as, as we've been Absolutely. discussing. Absolutely. And that's exactly what it is. It, it, it happens. Beautiful. Beautiful.
Um, what led you to, to even coming into solving this particular problem? I remember you sharing a, a brief story about uh, the, a gentleman, the garbage guy or something like that. Do you recall that? <laughs> oh man, you remember these uh, odd stories. I appreciate that. So uh, it means you're paying attention. Yeah, yeah so mean, what, that was really powerful. Well, you know, one of my very good friends, he's older, uh, but I still look at him as a mentor. He's in his 80s. Him and his wife started going around the city and in their pickup truck back in the 60s and uh, picking up garbage um, and, you know, in, in mid-rises, multi-residential buildings. And they started getting paid for that. Eventually started growing and growing. And uh, now they're the city's largest sewage and garbage disposal company, uh, actually the state's. And so, um, well, you know, I sat down with him. I said, geez, that's, that's, that's incredible that you went from picking up garbage in the, in the pickup truck with your wife and now you're a billion dollar company. And he cracked a joke, although it still stuck to me. He said, you know what, if you want to make some real money, you want to be successful, you got to pick up all the garbage that nobody else wants to do. Mm. So, which is interesting because going into the industry that I'm in, these, these banks often call these garbage loans. These loans are defaulted. They're not worth anything anymore. They've been defaulted for who knows how long. There's attorney fees, foreclosure fees, court fees. These, are, these banks, a lot, of, a lot of times, for asset purposes, they call them garbage loans. Yeah, and uh, just a few years ago, I looked at myself. I said, hey, what's interesting is I ended up being the garbage man of the mortgage industry. And so uh, nobody else wanted to help out these homeowners and nobody else wanted to deal with these, with these defaulted mortgages. So I essentially capitalized on what nobody else wanted to do. So when I crack a joke, I'll, t I'll often tell people, eh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the garbage man of the mortgage industry. And so that's where that story stems from. At, at the tune of 350 million, that's not too shabby. <laughs> and we're still growing. Yeah. We're still growing this year. This year, we're actually uh, we're aiming aiming to hit five five hundred million dollar gross revenue. Yeah, so that's my next question, man. I mean, what's next for PCS? Um, I know that you've had some some global travel uh, and and interest uh, from other countries to help them negotiate some of their bad debt. Uh, what's next for PCS? So th that's a good question. Um, well, as I said, we're, we're, you know, just like we're not in a society where everybody's paying their mortgages, the rest of the world is too whether it's Europe, Asia, Australia, uh, especially if it's a first world country, you know, they've got mortgages going on. If you've got people who are defaulting and in, in, in a lot of us know that a lot of other countries have suffered and are suffering financially, uh, whether it's companies leaving their company, you know, companies that are leaving and uh, having a let go of their employees, whatever reason it may be, there are other countries that are cities around the world that are suffering from, from defaulted business, from defaulted loans. So I said, you know what, since we learned how to do this in the U.S., I mean, we're fortunate enough to live in the U.S. where we start trends in the U.S. We figure out what the problems are in the U.S. and the rest of the world learns from us. So I said, yeah, we've, we've, got, to, we've, got, we've got to learn what's happened here and how we can apply this in other countries. So, you know, we all know that Greece fell uh, financially a little while back and a lot of other countries are suffering from that. So I said, let's go ahead and try to do our best at copying what we have learned, the issues that we have learned and the solutions that we have learned in the U.S. 
and essentially doing them in other countries. You know, Toronto, uh, you know, their average single family homes have fallen by to what two, three hundred thousand dollars per home uh, over these last over the last year. Uh, places where that are in the, you know, we all say analyzed markets were places that have bubbled, uh, Amsterdam, Stockholm, so on and so forth. Places that have just bubbled unbelievably where people can no longer afford them. In the U S that would be San Francisco, Denver. I mean, you can just talk about a number of cities that have been experiencing bubbles. Well, bubbles don't last. We know history repeats itself. So not only do we analyze countries that are currently financially falling, we analyze countries and cities that are in a big bubble and we know that that bubble is not going to last because we know that history repeats itself. So yeah, in, in, over the, over the last couple of years, we've been working on adjusting our strategy to be able to copy what we do in the U S into other countries around the world. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. So, you know, one of the things that we like to do on this podcast as we wrap up this interview, and again, thank you so much for your time is we like to share a, a life hack or a shortcut so that our entrepreneurs can take action. And I remember one life hack that I learned uh, during one of our convers many conversations over the years has been when you detailed going, when you detailed to me a specific practice that you implemented while you were making calls, delivering pizzas. You want to share that with our, with our audience? Absolutely. So, you know, coming from feeling like I was on top of the world, and not only that, I've always felt like I was on top of the world. I always felt like I could accomplish anything I put my mind to. So, and and to get to where you are, to get to to get to where um, to get to where you want to be, you've got to believe that you're. You essentially got to believe you are that person. Um, you know, whether it's you know when when you talk to a smoker. And, you know, somebody smoking cigarettes and, uh, you know, a lot of you, all, all of us have met people, you know, I'm just a smoker. That's just what I do is I, I'm a smoker. They can try to quit, but if they consider themselves a smoker, when they try to quit, they are in their head, they're a smoker. They're going to go back to smoking. If somebody is morbidly obese and they want to lose weight, but they, they're just a fat person. That's how they consider themselves. They consider themselves a fat person. They will go back to gaining weight. That's how they see that. That's how they envision themselves. When I was delivering pizzas, I, I remember uh, I would deliver pizzas being downtown Chicago to beautiful suites at the Ritz-Carlton, at the Peninsula, at the Four Seasons. I'd deliver pizzas to penthouses, and I felt like I was a part of them. And I realized that when I, you know, I had people who just were baffled that I was delivering pizzas. And when, when they realized my story, I said, oh, I see you're you basically hitting, you're, you're hitting another, uh, you're hitting another hurdle, which basically I've seen myself that when you hit a hurdle, it's basically life testing you to go towards your next stage of success. So when I was delivering pizzas, myself, I viewed myself as a CEO. I, you know, even though I was delivering pizzas and that was incredibly humbling, I still, I, I didn't see myself as a pizza delivery guy. I was doing that to survive, but I still saw myself as a CEO of a company that was making a change. So that's how I perceived myself. And, you know, I implemented that thought process for the rest of my life. And, you know, I, and I realized that I actually implemented that thought process when I was a child and just carried that on. And yeah, there's sometimes times when life hits you and you gotta, you gotta feed yourself. But even when you gotta feed yourself, you gotta envision yourself as to who you want to be and who you know you are. That's fantastic. Yeah, the process or the action of mythologizing yourself 
depending on not allowing where you are to determine your identity, but envisioning yourself for who you aspire to be and then working towards that. Um, it works every time. So Alex, again, uh, a million thank yous for taking the time out of your busy day. I hear your phone ringing. I, I, th your phone does not stop ringing. So <laughs> on that note, thank you so much. And uh, I'll catch you the next time. Thanks again. Thank you. Hey guys, welcome back to our final segment. And according to uh, the feedback that we've received from our audience, this segment uh, has become one of the uh, favorite segments in the podcast. And in this segment is when I walk you through a specific exercise, uh, an action item that you can immediately implement so that you can start uh, shifting the momentum or creating more momentum uh, in your life and business. So uh, for this exercise, what I want you to do is grab a sheet of paper and you're gonna draw a line right down the middle. And this exercise is going to be an introduction uh, to what we call mythologizing yourself, mythologizing yourself. So on the left-hand side of, your, of this paper, what I want you to do is to jot down, uh, in my case, broke-ass David. <laughs> That's right, just write down broke-ass David and we're going to jot down some characteristics of Broke-Ass David. And in, your, in this case, you're going to put Broke-Ass, whatever your name is, uh, listening to this podcast. And so what I want you to jot down is numbers 1 through 10, because on this left-hand side, like you're going to do on the right-hand side, what we want to do is take a self-assessment, um, take some time to do some self-assessment. So, for example, Broke-ass David is very selfish. Broke-ass David is very insecure. Broke-ass David has a poverty mindset. Broke-ass David um, is afraid of rejection. Broke-ass David is, is um, all about uh, self-gratification, right? So you're just going to jot down. Broke-ass David is insecure, right? You're going to start jot jotting down all of these characteristics that make up this broke-ass side of you. Now, it might be funny, it might sound funny, but believe it or not, this is a side that we tend to plug into almost uh, subconsciously because we're so used to feeding this, th this persona. And so mythologizing ourselves is when we create a new, consciously, intentionally create a new version of ourselves um, where we begin to see characteristics that that we that we are, are, are that are opposite to the broke ass version of ourselves. So, for example, broke ass David uh, needs love, right? But King David on the right hand side, I've always enjoyed that biblical character, King David. And as I've gotten to know that biblical character, I'm like, you know, I want to be just like that guy. I want to resemble King David and some of his success and the way he lived his life. And so, the opposite of broke-ass David where David needs love. King David is love, right? So where broke-ass David is insecure, King David is secure. Whereas broke-ass David is unsure of what his life is, is like and, and his purpose, King David knows his purpose and that's to serve the world. So I'm hoping you're getting an understanding of what it means to mythologize yourself. Because what happens is we're so inundated and really on a subconscious level dialed into this broke-ass version of ourselves 
And then we wonder, why are we stuck in life? Why do my relationships fall apart? Why can't I break through a certain uh, ceiling within my business? And chances are, what's happening is that we're fueling that broke-ass side of us. And we don't even know it because it's so second nature. And once you start, uh, once you've created or acknowledge this better version of yourself, this new version, in my case, the King David uh, persona, what happens is we start fueling that persona. We start becoming like that persona because we continue to focus on that persona. Uh, Similar to our guest Alex, when he mentioned, you know, I envisioned myself as a CEO and I started to act like it. So here's an indication that you are now becoming uh, this this greater persona that you are now mythologizing yourself. I'll give you an example. I remember going to the gym and whenever I would go to the gym, uh, as broke as David, I would wear just torn up stuff. I'd look like a bum, didn't really care, didn't even comb my hair most days, right? Put on a hat. But as soon as I started to dive in and really feed um, King David on a regular basis, then all of a sudden dressing like a bum was unacceptable. I started to notice behaviors in my everyday simple life uh, changing. And the reason why it was changing was because I was continuing to plug into who King David is and what he represented. And when I, when I intentionally plugged into King David, that's when things really changed for me. So I hope this exercise uh, makes sense. Uh, it does work. I, I give you my word, it works. And so what I want you guys to do is if you have any questions, feel free to send us a message. We'll be more than happy to address that for you. But uh, hey, as we wrap this up, if you're struggling in your business, if you'd like to dive in deeper with the subject of mythologizing yourself, uh, feel free to reach out to me at davidubita.com and schedule a free uh, chat with me. And I'd be more than happy to go in a little bit deeper with what this looks like. All right, guys. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next segment. You've been listening to Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast with your host, David Ubita. Thank you so much for listening. Please give us a thumbs up or leave us a message if you learned something new today. And make sure to share this episode with a friend. Catch you on the next episode.